0: Tonight, tonight is the end. Um, I don't know if you knew this, but tonight, most of all of your questions are going to be answered. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about right now, right? You're like looking at me like, what in the world? But some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Tonight is not just the, the year ending um, of, the, of the season, but of the entire series. This is the last episode of Lost tonight. So it's all getting fixed, and all, well, not all, we'll probably have some questions, but um, my point is this. Here's the deal. Um, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, and some of you know exactly what I was talking about. And I think that a lot of times when we talk about the gospel, um, we, we've Christianized it so much, if that's a word, um, that we talk about it so much that, that the people that don't understand the gospel— have literally no idea what, just like if you had no idea what I was talking about, I said, tonight's the end. Like, that's exactly how they, like, what are you, what are you even talking about? I have no idea what you're even saying. Um, And so I think that even for some of us, maybe we have no idea, um, you have no idea about the gospel. Or some of you, maybe you do know the gospel, but you've gotten so used to it that maybe you have very little amazement by it. Um, but some of you, of course um, are absolutely stunned and stand in awe of the gospel right now um, and, and daily and so my goal today is this: um, My prayer is that, as we look at the gospel today as we as we study it, um, that we would stand in awe of the beauty of the gospel the, the gospel is it 's kind of like a diamond and Maybe I've said this before, but when you look at a diamond, you're seeing some sparkles and some beauty and you can turn it. And then there's new beauty and new new sparkles and new glorious things about it. And this is the thing about the gospel. There's there's so many beautiful aspects. I mean, the gospel is that Jesus died for us, but there's so many aspects to that truth. So many, so many avenues, so many beautiful things about how that looks in your life, that your sins are forgiven, that you get to make much of Jesus. The rest. There's so many beautiful things about it that um, maybe you've been staring at one place and we need to turn it so you can stand in awe of the beauty of it again. Um, and that is what we're going to be looking at today. Um, if you haven't been here before, we've been studying through the through the book of First John. John was written um, by John. First um, John was written by John. There's no big surprise there. Um, he was... The only disciple to get to live to an old age. And as he got to his old age, he wrote his gospel. And then as he got older, he wrote these epistles, um, these letters. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Um, He wrote these at at an older age. And he wrote these two, these letters. 1 John is what we're looking at, to a group of Christians. Um, And as he wrote to this group of Christians, he's wanting them to know what it means to be followers of Christ, etc. And so as he's he's writing that... um, and if you've been studying with us now up until we're, we're in chapter two, you can go ahead and grab a Bible here at the bottom. Uh, if you don't have one, we're in chapter two. But basically for the first chapter and half of the second chapter, he's just been kicking them in the gut like over and over. If you don't obey, then you stink. If you don't know what you're doing, then you're a liar. I mean, he's just been crushing them over and over and over. Um, and so as a great pastor, uh, some this is what some of the commentators were saying to us this week. As, as a great pastor, he sees that... Um, Let me read this to you. This is what the New Testament uh, commentary says. As a wise pastor, he knows that a steady flow of admonitions. Admonitions just means very strong correction. This is what you need to look like as a Christian. This is what it needs to look like. And he's just giving them this steady flow, you know, um, in 1-6, one, six, one, eight, one ten, two four, two nine. You don't know what the truth. You're, filled with you're a liar. He's just been crushing them, crushing them. And it says, as a wise pastor knows that a steady flow of admissions can have an adverse effect on the members of the church. So if you correct people that are in your church so many, so many, so many times, it has an adverse effect. And he says, positive words build confidence and assurance. So John knows that he's been kicking them in the gut for a good chapter and a half, and he's wanting to turn it around and say, okay, I have some positive things for you. I have some good things that you need to know. Um, And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Um, Pastors should show the believers the riches they possess in Christ Jesus, not just correct them all the time, but also show them the riches uh, they have in in Christ Jesus. So uh, today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at um, the riches that you possess in Christ Jesus. Um, Hopefully, I haven't been kicking you in the gut like John has um, for a chapter and a half. But um, why would he do this? Why would he write this way? As as we've said before, Paul, who wrote... Much of the New Testament has this linear way of thinking. I'm thinking this, and that takes you here, and that, thinks, that takes you here. And he just kind of lays it out. And then at the very end, based on all this theology, here's all the application. John's very different. John writes in this kind of circular way. Theology, application, theology, application. You'll, you'll see that like what you see in verse 6 is back in 2, and then what you see in 3 is in 5. And it's just like this circular kind of way of writing. Um, why is he wanting to, to keep trying to write this way? Why is he wanting to... Uh, Show you that you stink, but then hopefully see that you, you, you have everything you have in Christ in this little circular way. Um, John Piper says this. John Piper was writing about why he would say in like one six and one eight and one ten, uh, if you don't if you're not walking the way that Christ would have you, if you if you're sinning and you're da, then you're a liar. Why is he doing that? But then he comes back around and says, All your sins are forgiven. You've overcome the evil one. Um, this is what John Piper says when he's writing. Why is he writing this way? He wants to motivate the fight. So your life is a fight. Every day is a fight. You need to be thinking that way. But you don't need to know, You don't need to think. All right. Every day is a fight. But I sin all the time. Therefore, I'm a liar. I give up. He's going to bring you back around and say, all your sins are forgiven. You've overcome the evil one. Why is he doing it? He wants to motivate the fight with confidence of victory. With confidence of victory. In other words, you know, if you know you're not going to win, if you know you're not going to win a fight, you won't play. Um, you're just going to pick up your ball and you're going to go home. I'm not, I am not on any more of this. I know I'm not going to win. I, I found this to be the case with me and, and my wife. Whenever we play we, um, I want to play the baseball game. If we play the baseball game, she's going to get stomped. I mean, just crushed. Um, but she wants to play the, uh, the ski jump. I can't, I don't, I cannot figure out how to do it. She can go like 200 and I can only do like 110 and it drives me crazy. Let's do ski jump. No way. Mm-mm. I'm picking up my ball and I'm going home. And what he's saying is this, whenever we know we're going to win, we can have confidence. We can have confidence. And so John Piper saying the reason why he's doing this, we're motivated to fight when we have confidence in the victory, um, this is what he says. He wants to motivate the fight with confidence in the victory. You are forgiven. You know Christ. You have conquered the devil. So be encouraged. Abide in Christ. Use his truth and power to avoid the germs of error and to defeat the temptation to sin. Um, and so what we want to do today as we look at this, um, this text today in 1 John chapter two, chapter 2, we're looking at verses 14 through 16, is be motivated to fight um, because the victory has been given to us, and so we're going to highlight some beautiful things about the gospel. Um, so let's let's look at the text, and then we'll pray. We'll look at the text, and then we'll pray. Chapter two, verses. Chapter two, verses two through fourteen. It says this: I am writing to you, little children. I am writing to you, little children, because you have been forgiven for His namesake. I am writing to you, fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for your word. We thank You that You have um, used Your Word to convict us. You have used Your Word to remind us about what it looks like to walk with Christ. You have used Your Word to convict us of sin, to show us where we're not walking with You, where, where we should be. Um, but also, Father, You have used Your Word to comfort us. You have used Your Word to give us these beautiful truths that tell us that we are forgiven for His namesake, that we, we know Jesus, the One who's from the beginning, that we know the Father, that we have overcome the evil one. And so, Lord, I pray that as we look at these glorious truths of the gospel, um, these truths that John is telling to these different generations of people, God, that we would be comforted, that we would be encouraged, and that we would know that since um, the victory is ours, we'd be motivated to fight. Our entire life is war. And that we are way more motivated to fight in this in this war when we know we've overcome and that we've won. So help us, Lord, see these things this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, as you should have seen, there's a structure here in these verses 2 through 14. There's a structure. Um, It's really, really simple. He's going to say, I write to you children, I write to you fathers, I write to you young men. And he's going to say it again. I write to you children, I write to you fathers, I write to you young men. Very easy little structure there. Um, And I just want to kind of point out a couple things about it. Um, that maybe you won't be able to see. And then a- after that, we're going to dive in, you know, go through verse by verse. Um, if you look at the beginning of 12 and you look at the end of 13, um, I writing to you little children, I write to you children. Um, those are two different Greek words. They, they, they bring it forward in English to almost look similar. One's technon and one's kind of like my dear children whom I love. The other one's pious. It's just talking about a boy or, or a child. Um, two different Greek words in English. We ha- it looks like it's the same. Um, the, Not really saying there's any meaning behind that. I just want you to know that. Um, And also the second half where it says, I write to you, children. I write to you, fathers. I write to you, young men. Um, And most all translations, you're going to see it in the present form. Um, But it's actually in the past or what's known as the aorist, which basically just means the past. And it's just saying, I have written. I have written. Um, Don't know there's any deep meanings in those, but I wanted you to know those things. All right, here we go. Um, Now. The first question that pops into it, I would hope pops in your head, which pops into my head is, is John trying to write to different generations? Is that what he's doing? There's, there's basically two ideas here. Is he writing to little children? Then after he writes to little children, he goes, oh, I've got to write to the fathers, write to the fathers. Oh, you know what? There's, there's a middle person in there. I'm going to write to the young men. Here's the young men. Is it that? Or is it a second category, which is, um, l- let's look, let me look, let you see something. Look at 2-1. Look at 2-1. <clears throat> My little children, I'm writing these things. Now, we know that he's very old and he's a pastor and he's writing to his church and he calls his whole church. My little children. We go over here to 212 and it says, I am writing to you little children. So we know that as a pastor, he calls everyone in the church little children. Look at 218. Children, it is the last hour. Look at 2.28. And now little children, abide in him. Um, in 3.7, he says it again. In three seven, he says, little children, let no one deceive you. And in 4.4, um, he says, little children, you are from God. He says it some other places too. Here's my point. So there's the idea that he's writing to little children and fathers and young men. Or there's an idea, which is that um, when he writes to little children, that's everybody in the church. Not just the actual children of the church, but everyone. And then he actually addresses fathers and young men. That's kind of the two ideas. So which one is it? Um, I believe it's the second. I believe it's the second. The second makes more sense because throughout the letter, he calls the whole church little children." And so it makes more sense that here, when he addresses little children or children, that he's actually talking to the church, not, not just little children. So the structure of this, in my mind, is he talks to little children. Everybody in the church. And then he addresses fathers and young men. Now, when he addresses fathers and young men, um, I am going to and I don't think he is. I don't think he's neglecting mothers. and I don't think he's addressing neglecting young women. So we're going to make the application um, for both of those. If you're if you're an older woman or let me say seasoned woman, which sounds far more better um, or you're a young woman. Um, And we're going to pull out truths on that that I want you to see um, and what those things mean as you get older and you get gray hair, you don't like to be called old, you just like to be called seasoned, or or wise, or things like that, but you certainly don't want to be called old. It's so funny when people tell me, yes, sir, now. You know, just like, stop saying yes, sir. Or Mr. Chambers, that's my dad. Um, Anyway, back to the text. All right, he says, I write to you little children. So, we're going to see here. And as we talked about, we looked at the text, we're going to see these beautiful things about the gospel. We're going to see these beautiful things about what it means to be a Christian. When he talks about you're forgiven, he talks about you know him from the beginning. So we're just going to go verse by verse and I'm going to unpack them. But this is the way I'm going to unpack them. When he talks to little children in verse 12, I'm also going to bring in children from 13. When he talks to fathers in 13, I'm going to bring the fathers. So I'm just going to take them together. I'm going to take children together. I'm going to take fathers together, I'm going to take young men together, even though they're in Two little separate orders. All right, here we go. Um, and this is just generational encouragement. I think again, he's been kind of kicking them in the gut for a chapter and a half now. He wants to give them some encouragement. He wants to bring them back around and say, "Hey, these things are true about you. You can do this. You can fight." All right, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for His namesake. And then look down at the bottom of uh, end of thirteen. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. So the first thing is, he's writing to children. And the first thing he tells them is that your sins have been forgiven for his namesake. Because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. All right. Um, I I think that it's imperative. I think that it's absolutely imperative that some of you hear the depths of this truth today. Some of you are so tied down by the sins of last week. Some of you are so slaves to the sins of last month or the sins of last year or the sins of last night or the sins of this morning. You're paralyzed by it. It weighs so and I'm I'm speaking to Christians here. Okay, you're so paralyzed by it that you see no victory in your life. You see no chance for advancement in sanctification. You see no hope at all in moving forward in the fight. Because that sin. That sin that you have committed. Is so ingrained into your mind. Satan has taken it and pushed into your minds and convinced you that sin is keeping you from doing anything. And you you need to hear this. Your sins. Not just Sin. Not just the easy ones. Your sins are forgiven. Could you just just let the weight of that fall on you? All of your sins, all of them are forgiven. There's this beautiful thing in theology called double imputation. And it just means that all of God's righteousness, all of Christ's righteousness, because he died on the cross... All of his righteousness, he was perfect, has been imputed into you. Therefore, you have been declared 100% righteous. The, the other side is all of your sin, all of it has been imputed onto Jesus when he was on the cross. This is so gloriously beautiful. Let me let me just highlight with one little illustration here from Luke. Luke chapter 7. Um, I've, I've actually preached this text before. Uh, this is... This is a woman who had been caught, um, not a woman who had been caught, but a woman who was known in the city to be a sinner. More than likely, she was a prostitute. Um, and there's a party at this uh, guy named Simon's house. <clears throat> and at this party, uh, Jesus goes to this party. And as he's at this party, the woman comes in behind Jesus presumably, you know, he's sitting here like this. She comes in behind and it was kind of customary when you go to someone's house um, to wipe their feet and clean their feet up because their feet became very nasty because of the dusty roads and, uh, and clean their feet and, and anoint their head with oil, all this kind of stuff. Um, and so she comes in. And they didn't do any of this to Jesus. The Pharisees, you know, they weren't very big fans of Christ. Um, And so he's sitting there and he's having this conversation. He's reading Simon's mind, etc. And this woman comes in um, and she goes up to Jesus' feet and she's crying so hard that she's wetting his feet completely with her tears. I mean, just she's crying so much that she's producing enough water to take her long hair and clean his feet. His nasty, disgusting feet with her hair. And she's taking this expensive oil that she had and she's anointing his feet with oil, doing the very thing that the servants of the house did not do. Um, And so Simon thinking in his head, if Jesus knew who this was, man, he would not let this sinner be doing this to his feet. Wouldn't let him, wouldn't let this lady touch his feet. And so he tells Simon the little story, you know, I'll modernize it. Um, A certain money lender had two people that owed him one owed him, you know, 500 grand and the other guy owed him 10 bucks and he cancels both debts, which one's going to appreciate it more? And they got and Simon's like, well, I'm assuming it'd be the one who had the the larger debt canceled. And he's like, you presume right. He who has been forgiven much loves much. And then he looks at and he goes, therefore, um, he says, do you see this woman? This is, this is basically around the middle of 44. Do you see this woman? He's talking to Simon. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. She gave me no water for my feet. She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. She gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. And therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, Looked right at her. Your sins are forgiven. If you would let the beauty of this truth land on you, you're not weighed down or paralyzed by this anymore. Your sins, if you're in Christ, are forgiven. Nothing keeps you from victory. When you hear this, the result is you're going to love much. I'm just convinced that some of us need to hear this morning. Our sins are forgiven. We have put us inside of this, this prison. We, we built it up and say, I have to live in this prison. And let me just say, the punishment, um, feeling bad is normal, and, and knowing that punishment should happen to you, that's innate. That's built in. Because you're right, someone should be punished. But Jesus has bore all the wrath for you. Nothing is coming on to you. You have been given victory. Your sins are forgiven. Praise his name. Your sins are forgiven. But there's more to it, there's even more beauty to it. Your sins are forgiven. Look at the next phrase for his name's sake. Why were your sins forgiven? Christ died for you. There's no no doubt about that. I mean, that's biblical all over the Bible. Jesus died for you. And yes, he did. But he died for himself. He died for his name's sake that he would receive glory. If that seems strange to you, then I just want to invite you to, to, to examine the scriptures and see over and over. For my name's sake, for my glory, I want you to declare my glory over and over. Jesus is very much about his own glory. So, yes, your sins are forgiven, which is a beautiful truth to live under. It's so freeing to be able to walk in the truth of that. But it's for his name's sake. You have not just been forgiven to flounder about in life, knowing that things are forgiven. You have been forgiven that you can join in with all the rest of creation to lift high his name. Join in and glorifying Christ because you have been forgiven for his name's sake. This is gloriously beautiful. This is gloriously beautiful. My goal is to encourage you this morning. And I'm hoping, knowing that you get to join in with the rest of creation of bringing glory to Christ because your sins have been forgiven. Nothing keeps you from it. The victory is sure, so fight that you are encouraged to want to live giving glory to his name. Um, The next thing that he tells the children, if you skip down to the bottom of 13, it says this. I write to you, children because you know the Father. So here's B for children. Here's B. Um, he's writing to children to let them know that they know the Father. It's going to come up sometime. It's going to come up sometime. Um, because you know the Father. Um, now, this is not like knowing your earthly father. This is not like knowing your earthly father. I, uh, some of you know that I've coached there's a difference. Let me just point out, there's, there's a stark difference between knowing the Heavenly Father and the Earthly Father. And the, the biggest difference is because fathers are sinful. Um, earthly fathers. We're, we're sinful. Um, and this is best illustrated. I've been coaching a soccer team um, for a couple seasons now, fall and spring. Um, we had, yesterday, I was just reminded of this, yesterday we had our, our parents versus, we always, when we do this at the very end of the season, um, parents versus kids, um, which went awesome yesterday. Um, but, Last time we had it, we had parents versus kids. Um, The sinfulness of the fathers really showed its (laughs) ugly head, um, resulting in three different children receiving extremely hard kicks to the face with the balls. Um, We're playing the game, and all of a sudden, the dads are getting really into it, and they just belt it, you know. And normally, you would think, they're wanting to get the ball downfield. But when the son or the daughter is, daughter my three feet away and they receive, you know, a 90 mile an hour soccer ball to the nose. um, You're probably playing too hard. You're probably into the game a little bit too much. Um, And so I was just thinking um, when we when we think about knowing the father, it's very easy for us to just associate. Okay, I know my earthly father. Don't think that way Um, to be able to have this precious gift of knowing the father. It's not like knowing your earthly father. Some of you have great dads, um, which is and so it's easier for you to relate. OK, I have a great dad. So knowing him must just be amazing. Some of you have horrible dads and you think about God and you think knowing the father. ah, oh, I just had such a bad childhood. Listen, um, don't think about your earthly father when you think this way. Knowing the father is knowing the God of creation The one who is perfect. The one who's beautiful. The one who loves you more than you could ever imagine. Who would never give you a bad gift. Every gift he gives to you is perfect. Um, Being able to know the Father is is a precious gift that is illustrated to us as we know our earthly fathers, especially whenever they're great. But as children, you know the Father. Now, um, one of the commentators was saying that um, these first two things these first two things, which are your sins are, for, are forgiven for his namesake and knowing the Father are usually kind of the first two conscious experiences that we have as christians that 's what one of the commentators said, which is true you think about it. I remember at eight as soon as I, um, as soon as I became a Christian, I remember thinking the first two things is all of my sins are forgiven and and now and some in some interesting way, as an eight-year-old, I, I know God. This is pretty amazing. Um, Spurgeon uh, was, was writing on these, these, these two experiences, these first two kind of conscious experiences that we have as believers, which is knowing that our sins are forgiving and knowing God. Spurgeon um, is a, a pastor who lived about 100 years ago in London. He was talking about whenever he first became a Christian. He became a Christian around 17 years old. He said this, When my eyes first looked to Christ... He was a very real Christ to me. And when my burden of sin rolled off from my back, it was a real pardon and a real release from sin to me. And when that day I said for the first time, Jesus Christ is mine, it was a real possession of Christ to me. And when I went up into the sanctuary, that very early dawn of youthful piety, every song was really a psalm. And when there was prayer, Oh, how I followed every word. It was real prayer indeed. And so was it too. In silent quietude. We don't use that word very often. It's a cool word. Quietude. It's kind of like solitude. Um, When I drew near to God, it was no mockery. It was no routine. He's talking about prayer. No matter of mere duty. It was a real real talking with my Father who is in heaven. I mean, that's, that's beautiful. That is beautiful language. And that's what's, that's what's in your grasp. Real worship, real prayer, real devotion, real understanding, real acknowledgement that there's a release of sin to you. All that's there. Um, nothing is better than knowing Christ. And so if he's not everything to you right now as a Christian, can you just remember back to maybe when he was? Can you remember there's there's seasons of for sure where we know in that season, nothing was in the way of my relationship with Christ. There was there was these moments where I was I was really clicking with I was up every morning and and not because I had to. I was in the word because Jesus was so real to me. Can you remember back to these times? And what is keeping you right now? From returning to that. What is it? Is it your school? Is it your job? Is it your is it your money? Is it worry? What's keeping you from finding your way back to that moment? And maybe it's now whenever you were in tune with the things of Jesus. And for some of you, um, and I've noticed this for me, um, I feel on international mission trips, this, this special closeness to Jesus than when I do when I'm home. Maybe God's got a call in your life. Maybe God's got a call in your life to international missions. Um, That's what it is for me. I know when I'm on those mission trips that there's just something different about my closeness. And I think it's because all media has been erased from my access. And it's just it's just so much more focus of me and Jesus. And so maybe you can either bring the mission trip home and erase that now or God's calling you to go there and let that be a part of your life for an For, you know, your lifetime. Um, But you need to believe that nothing is better. So to return to him and have that passion that you once had. All right. So that's children. That's children. Now we're going to switch over to fathers. We're going to switch over to fathers. Um, This is what he says. And he says the same thing to both both times. He says, I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And he says it in 14, I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. So he has he has one thing that he says to them. Um. And so here's here's the father's just one little slide because, you know, the the notes are so simple. I mean, all you got to really do is just write down the verses. Um, You don't even need to write down what I say, but because it's just straight out of the Bible. Um, But because you know him who is from the beginning. Now, if you'll notice, this is very similar to the second thing he said to the children. What he said to the children is, um, I write to you children because you know the father. But he's writing to children. So he's saying, you know, the father here he's writing to fathers. And he says, because you know him who is from the beginning. Him who was from the beginning, and if you notice that that sounds so much like one one, remember one one, um, that which was from the beginning, we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made. Remember, he said that which was from the beginning, and it sounds just like John one one. Um, in the beginning was the word, and so he, he likes to use this in the beginning, um, pointing us back to um, Jesus Christ, pointing us back to Jesus Christ, and he's saying, "Fathers." I'm writing to you because you know him who is from the beginning. You know Jesus. Now, what I want to do here, um, because there's several ways I could, I could highlight this. I could talk about the eternality of Christ and what it means to know someone who's from the beginning. But I want to key more in on no. I want to key more in on no. Um, and we're going to put an application out here because I believe he's writing to generations now. Um, He shifted from the church over to fathers. And so um, this isn't just for fathers. I want to say this is for mothers as well. Um, I know he says fathers, but I want to make the application for you who are seasoned in our church. You who are seasoned. Um, I want to key in on the part here where he says, because you know him who is from the beginning. So. This James Boyce comments on this, and he says he's writing to father's. And he's saying, you know, who is from the beginning and fathers clearly have a, a spiritual um, God given oversight, um, not just in the families, but in the churches. Um, and so as humbly as I can um, and as encouraging I can be, if you're a father in the church, if you're a father in the church, which basically means if you are age thirty five now or older, um, if you're one of these seasoned spiritual fathers of the church um, Is the result of your lifetime, you've got 75 years and you're roughly halfway there. I'm just using averages. Maybe you're going to live to 90, Um, but you're halfway there. Is the result of your lifetime going to be spiritual experience or worldly experience? As as humbly as and as encouraging as I can be, I want to frame this question to you to say God has given you a clear experience. God given responsibility to oversee your family, to oversee in this church. And same thing with the mothers. Um, What's going to be the result of your lifetime? You're halfway there. Are you where you need to be being that you're halfway there? At the end of your life, are you and am I going to say at the end that I knew Jesus far more deeply than what I did when I began this journey or Are we going to say, I knew him, but man, I knew so many other things that now that I look back are just trivial. Just trivial. Um, Jesus is enough. Jesus is far better than what the world might be alluring you with. You're halfway there. Are you where you need to be? Are you where you want to be? Let me just ask it that way. Are you where you want to be? In your spiritual journey. Um, New New Testament commentary says this. John appeals to the fathers. um, And I would say the mothers because they have gained spiritual knowledge of and about Jesus Christ. In the course of time, they have come to know him who is from the beginning. They have an intimate knowledge of God's revelation in Jesus Christ. I hope that's true for our seasoned fathers and mothers in this church, that they have an intimate knowledge. Um, The Christian community then looks to the spiritual fathers and mothers for leadership, and they in turn must care for their spiritual children of the church. They are responsible. And here it is. This is this is our challenge. We are to hand the torch of the gospel light to the next generation, namely the young men or women in the church. So how are we doing? How are we doing with that? Are we proactively finding ourselves handing the torch of the gospel light to the next generation? Or are we preparing them for nothing? Um, What are we as spiritual fathers and mothers in this church doing to prepare the next generation? Um, Let me just read a verse, a text of scripture from Titus 2. And then I want to kind of say I think we're doing well and maybe uh, give us some advice. Maybe give us some advice. This is Titus chapter 2. this is just the first four verses It says, but as for you teach, this is Paul writing to a pastor and he says, but as for you, teach what accords to sound doctrine, talking to the pastor. And he says, older men, seasoned men are to be sober minded, dignified. No, he just remember, he just said to teach. So there's a role that he's talking about of teaching. Older men are to be sober minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. So this is the job of older men. Definitely, clearly to be teaching younger men. Um, verse three, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good. So train the young women to love their husbands and children. We'll stop there. Um, there's a God-given responsibility to the seasoned parents here in the church. And so, how are we doing? Right now we do have community groups that are meeting together with the seasoned and with the, the younger ones that are accomplishing accomplishing this to some degrees they meet together um once a month to to pour into some experience some of the season people pour into so i think we're we're on the right track and i think we're doing well um but that's not to say here's a question is there more that could be done is there more i think so and and what that looks like that's things that we'll learn as we keep walking through um the life of this church and learning um but there's always more so we, My point is that we don't ever want to just be content with, oh, we do that now because we have two community groups meeting together. Um, There's always more. There's always more. And so not everyone um, who's seasoned in the church is going to have the same responsibility. It's not going to look the same for every person here. It's going to look totally different for some of you than for others. And so all I'm asking is, however God is leading you in whatever direction he's leading you to fulfill this, just be obedient to it. It it could be small amounts because you have a crazy busy life right now. But for some of you who have more time, it could be far more. And so however the Lord's leading you in this, um, let me assure you, I and the church as a whole needs you as the seasoned fathers and mothers to step into the role that God's calling you and fulfill it. I can't express to you how much we need it. It's absolutely crucial Because I can't do it by myself and one other person with me can't do it by myself. We have to have all of you to be able to, as I'm quoting, hand the torch of the gospel light off to the next generation. It's going to take us all. All right. Now he shifts over to young men. Shifts over to young men. So we're going to look at the end of 13 and the end of 14. And he says this, I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one, which he says also down in the next section. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And then he says this, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. All right, so let's just take those one at a time. The first one, which he says in the top one is because you have overcome the evil one. Um, I live on... I live on a road that's kind of out in the middle of nowhere and i've got this new little hobby uh if you drive down the road because it's kind of in the middle of nowhere there's always all kinds of animals on on the road and so one of my favorite pastimes now is they snakes um and so i like to as i see it and i cannot overcome the evil one because i've hit him and then i look in my rear view and he's keep going so i turn around and i come back and i get him again and so when i nail him i'm not as gifted as some people who can just nail the rabbit first try and just crush it to death. But um, I. Uh, I, I hit the snake. I saw it and I was like, yes, I'm going to kill that snake because it was a good long one. So I hit it and then I, I look at my rear view and it kind of balls up and it's mad. And so, but it stretches back and it's going, I'm turning around, I'm coming back. Um, I have not been able to, and I just, I want to. I want I think the trick is that if you hit its head with the tire, it dies. But I think I hit its body. Um, and maybe I just need to go slow and kind of go back and forth real fast. Um, but the idea is this, um, when he's talking to, I can try to conquer the evil one in a, in a sense. But what he's talking about here is in spiritual realities. Um, the the evil one for us has been conquered. Now, it's pretty amazing that he says you have overcome the evil one. He's saying you've done it. So this is pretty awesome. I mean, clearly we know that God has done it in Christ Jesus for us. But there is some sense where he's saying You've done it. God in Christ Jesus has done it for you. But because he's done it for you, you've done it. So know that there's victory for you. You have overcome the evil one. Um, This is what the New Testament commentary says conquered the evil one, repelled the attacks of the devil. Um, These people, they belong to Jesus and they live in the light of his revelation. They have stood firm in the face of temptation. They have stood firm in the face of temptation. This is what's true of you. I know that you sin just like I do daily. But you can take heart. There's some encouragement in this. You have overcome the evil one when you're in Christ Jesus. That's the first one. The next one is this. I write to you young men. So he is encouraging all of you who are, who are young in the faith or just young in the church. Those of you that are um, men or women. First thing, if you're in Christ, you have overcome the evil one. The next one is this. You are strong. Now, I don't think he's talking about physically. Um, he could be talking about physically, talking to young men, you're strong. and sure you hear that that's right, because I can bench press 200. Um, but I don't think that's exactly what he's talking about. Because if we think in the scheme of things, we are fragile, fragile people. And, like, anything can take us out at any moment. And I learned this this week. I, I, I was at the beach, um, and on Wednesday, and this is just so not smart um, and so prideful. Um, I'm a fair-skinned guy who hasn't been in the sun in at least two years, and so I decided to to play in the sand with my kids with no sunscreen whatsoever. And, I mean, my back is just, I mean, you've seen me kind of grab it. It, it is It hurts so bad, and I can think that I'm strong, but... Anything at any moment can just take you out where you turn into this little sissy baby. Um, as a matter of fact, we have this spray. I, I swear this is worse than Jack Bauer torture. We have this spray that that's supposed to remove like the itching and remove the burn. And so Christy sprays it on me. And I have to put a shirt in my teeth and I have to just spray it on this. I feel like I'm being electrocuted. And I, I'm being like, Coerce for information, and I'm just like, "Stop! I'll tell you whatever you want." Um, and yesterday, I was getting ready. This is the worst part. I mean, it's it's all here. I, I'm I'm leaning down, and I'm doing something, and the the dumb door is coming towards me, and I, I don't have these door handles. I have these long little handles, and so the door handle is sneaking up behind me like it's, it's evil, and so I stand up, and the door handle literally hits me, and the worst part of the sunburn, and I can't express how paralyzed I was at that moment. The, the thoughts that went through my mind were, were so far from godly. Um, it, it hurt so bad. And it just reminded me, you know what? We are not strong. We are, we are fragile. And John is not talking about at any moment. You will see how weak you are. All we have to have is a sunburn or cancer or a wreck or anything happen in our life. So he's not talking about physical strength. He's talking about spiritual and strength. Um, it's extremely important. I just want to say this. This is extraordinary because normally you don't hear, normally you don't hear this kind of language be said about young people. You're strong. I was in youth ministry for, gosh, 11 years or so. um, And and one of the things I I learned about students is most of them are not Christians, but they think they are. Um, Most of them do not know Or understand the gospel. Um, They think they do. They think it means sign a card. Um, Most of them are searching to be accepted very badly. Um, Most of them can be extremely motivated to walk very deep with Jesus. Um, And most of them can be challenged to walk with Christ to just amazing, amazing, extraordinary levels. Um, So when you think of youth, you think, you know... Not so, you know, not so strong at all. But John's using this, speaking to young men and women, and I have I have seen it. Youth. And it's amazing. I'm talking about youth. I think parent, this is true for, for adults as well, but they can be challenged to walk in extremely. It just I think the the shift for youth, the shift for parents is kind of like, OK, I need to move over from. From knowing nothing to over to walking with Christ deeply, and it kind of it's, it's kind of this process is what it seems to be for adults. They can definitely do it, but for youth, it's like Tuesday, Wednesday. You know what I mean? Okay, I'm all about Jesus now. It's just amazing, and and, and in some cases, it's literally that fast. Um, and he says, "You've he's speaking to young men and women, you have overcome the evil one, you are strong." So it's imperative as. Young men or young women here in the church that you not and it's it's so much more difficult for you that you not be drawn into the banality of the the, the triviality of the world because everything is marketed to you to be drawn in when, when you know more about whatever I don't even I don't even know like it's, I'm so out of it I don't even know um, if you know more about sports and more about TV shows than you do about Jesus and His Word it's a sign. It's a sign. Um, and you got to know that everything's marketed to you. Now, I'm not telling you, let me just say this. Um, John's telling you that you must be strong. Don't hear me say that that means run away from the world and go hide and, 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 and be this like person that runs away. I've addressed that actually in a sermon series. It was called In the Darkest Place. Um, and it was in August of 2009. So there's a balance I'm trying to strike when I talk about us being in the world, but not of the world as Christians. If you want to hear that, it's, it's four sermons, It's called In the Darkest Place. And so I'm not saying that as young people, you have to run away from the world and hide in a cave until you're 35 and have children. Uh, but I'm saying there's a balance, there's, a, there's an intelligence level that you need to have here as Christians, where you're not going to walk into things that are going to cause you to sin. You're not going to walk into things that are going to be morally neutral, but draw you away from Jesus. Best question, best question, does this stir my affections for Jesus or does this take away or, or remove my affections for Jesus? One of the best questions to ask in regard to all these morally neutral things. Sin, clearly. Um, worship music or reading your Bible. Yeah, that's clear. But what about these neutral things? They're not good or bad. And it's different for every one of you. For, for you, it might be yes. For you, it might be no. Does this thing stir my affections for Jesus? Or does it take away my affections for Jesus? That's how you know whether you should do it. Not what would Jesus do? Um, because Jesus was perfect. He was God. Um, anyway, so you are strong. And here's the last thing he tells you. Here's the last thing he tells you. Because the word of God abides in you. Because the word of God abides in you. Um, in, in seminary, they tell you whenever, you, whenever you're preaching a sermon, and every time you have a point, whenever you get, have a point, you're supposed to illustrate it, and you're supposed to have an application. Um, I don't think like I don't think I've ever had an easier application here ever is these things called memorization cards. Okay, the word of God abides in you. I have a direct application here. We are as a church memorizing the book of First John. He says the word of God abides in you. Now, let me just say something. Um, Notice the previous two things. You have overcome the evil one and you are strong. Both of those things are possible because of this third one. Because the word of God abides in you. He is commending them for having overcome the evil one. He's commending them for being strong. Because number three, because the word of God, or C, is true in their life. So, um, and notice he's speaking to young children. I mean, young men, young women. Um, as I get older, I know my mind is just gone. But whenever I was younger, I could memorize like the phone book, um, And you have sharp minds while you're young. You really do. It's amazing how much you can retain. So these are the times. These are your moments as you have more time than you think you do. You think you're slammed. (laughs) Get married and have children. Then you'll realize you have no time. Uh, You have plenty of time. But right now, while you are just laden with so much time, I would just encourage you to fill some of this time with, with letting the Word of God abide in you. Letting the Word of God abide in you. You want to you want to overcome the evil one. You want to be strong. Let the Word of God abide in you. Now we have a plan here where we're going through First John and memorizing. Um, this is a great thing. If First John's not your deal, then memorize something else. I mean, it really doesn't bother me that you don't memorize First John if you're memorizing Philippians or you're memorizing whatever. I mean, you're memorizing the Word of God. It's the Word of God. And so um, I just want to encourage you as we're talking to young men and. Season, season adults with me. Um, you're not off the hook. Of course, you need to memorize the word of God as well. But I'm speaking to him, them because John is speaking to them. Memorize, let the word of God abide in you. I have hidden your word and I have stored up your word in my heart, as ESV says. Stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The more word in you, the more you're memorizing, the less and less you should see sin in your life. That's not a for sure thing. But that's the way that God has designed it Um, through prayer, through fasting, through worship, through community, but also through memorizing the word. So what's our direct take home? What's our what's our great response here? Um, Let's think about it this way. He wants to encourage us. He wants to. He wants to bring us about and say, okay, you have these things going on, but I want to remind you, you have these great truths about you. you your sins are forgiven for His namesake. Um, you've overcome the evil one. You're strong. The Word of God abides in you. And you know the Father. You know Him who's from the beginning. All these things are true. You can continue in this fight because the victory is sure. It's not sure because of you. It's sure because of Jesus. And so our right response this morning, our our best response this morning is to stand and proclaim and worship Him for these great truths that have been declared of us. So I just want to encourage you um, this morning. If you don't know Christ, that you would repent of your sin um, and that you would, you would trust Christ now and you can have these things be true of you. If, you. if you know you're not a Christian, all these things that I've said can be true of you to right now. If you would put your faith in Christ, Become a Christian and walk with Him. But for those of you that are Christians, um, I just want to encourage you as we go into our time of response through song, maybe you need to take a couple minutes to meditate, think on, pray through, and just, just thank God that these things are true. And then would you just stand and sing and proclaim your your love affections for Jesus? Thank you. Praise your name. That you have declared these things true of me, that these things are true of me, that my sins are forgiven for your namesake. I want to stand here. I own and proclaim to you how great and how glorious you are. And as we worship through song, that you'll exit and worship with your life. That all the things that God was kind of pushing in, maybe there's you're, maybe you're halfway through your life and there's some things that you know that you need to be doing. You're not where you want to be spiritually, knowing that you're halfway through your life. And there's adjustments to make that you'll walk out here and worship with your life and make those adjustments. If you're young and you're hearing I have overcome the evil one, I'm strong and I need the word that you'll be encouraged to say I'm going to go, I'm going to make these things true so that when I am seasoned that these things will be true of me as I'm seasoned. And I can hand the torch off to the next generation. The gospel light of the gospel torch light. I'm going to pray and then uh, Cameron's going to lead us in our time of worship and I just ask that you would That you would be obedient to how the Spirit is leading you right now. And that whatever way He's guiding you, whatever way He's directing you, that you would maybe take a couple minutes to think and then you'd stand and proclaim out how glorious He is. Let's pray. Cameron, you can go ahead and come out. Lord, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for Your goodness. I thank You for the cross. I thank You that these things are true. As we've been seeing, we've been challenged over the last chapter and a half that when we have sin in our life, that that's not good, and that for those who can continue in sin, maybe they they don't know Christ and they're lying if they say they do. But as First John one nine says, that we should confess our sin. We we return to repentance, we return to confession. But Father, we also see that these glorious things are true, that we can be encouraged to fight this fight. Because the victory is already ours. So help us be encouraged by that. And help us know that it's only because of Christ and the cross that these things are true of us. So may we stand and give Him all the glory. Give Him all the honor. Give Him all the worship. Because He has made these things possible in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name.